0: Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Good morning, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It is raining tons this week. I just thought it would be good to have a nice conversation with you.
1: So we can talk about April showers and May flowers.
0: So lovely to be able to see the sunshine a little bit more often and, you know, upgrade the coat to something lighter.
1: Yes, although I'm still wearing pants today.
0: Thank you for that information.
1: As opposed to shorts,
0: come on. (laughs) I am interested to see how I'm going to edit this together. We have an interesting podcast pulled from the bowels of our collection and the oral history interviews.
1: For those who can't see her, she did the evil maniacal hand rub. What do you got for us, Sarah?
0: I really love this oral history interview from Glenn Lindstrom. Do you remember that name?
1: I do. It's ringing all sorts of bells. He was in our World War II exhibit for several years and... uh, Cute as a button with his sewing. You see what I did there?
0: Yes. Heard what you did there. Glenn Lindstrom uh, served during World War II on the USS Alabama. And he had an interesting job for a World War II soldier on a Navy ship. He was the ship's tailor. He talks about that experience, um, being a plank owner on the USS Alabama,
1: And that would not be part of his PT routine, correct?
0: No, I had to look it up, but I'm good at research. Plank owner is somebody who is an original member of a crew um, when a ship is first commissioned. Uh, They ended up going to the Pacific Theater and he was on that ship in Tokyo Bay when Japan surrendered. I'm looking forward to hearing from Glenn and learning all about it.
2: Well, let us waste no more time. Onward. This is uh, Dave Niles. It's April 7th, 2005, and I'm at the home of Glenn Lindstrom. And Glenn has uh, consented to share with us some of his life experiences. So, Glenn, why don't we just start with where you were born and raised?
3: I was born in 1920 on the farm in Centerville, South Dakota, a family of nine and a family of three, my mother and dad, and there were six boys and one girl. My grandfather and grandmother and an uncle lived on the farm, on the same farm that we did. There were the three older children, boys, I should say, did not get an education as far as the three younger ones. The folks had us split up the three younger and three older. And as a result, of course, then the older three had to stay home on the farm, and the three younger ones had to go, could go to high school. But there was three years that spanned that came into being between my ninth grade and my tenth grade, sophomore in high school. My dad didn't think that we needed to go to school since the older ones didn't get it. Maybe maybe the younger ones were entitled to it, but that was not always the case. We thought differently. So we enjoyed, so we took 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade together in Vermilion High School. At the end of my senior year, the World War came to being on December 7th, 1941. And, of course, I didn't finish that particular year until May of 1942. As a result, I was drafted. So, so you
2: graduated from high school in 42. Yes, sir. Let me ask you, what were you doing on December 7th, 1941? I was in high school. Well, what were you doing on that Sunday?
3: Was it, was it Sunday? Well, I, I was home yeah. with the farm working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was chores to, 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 there were nine of us. Each one of us had our chores. That uh, needed to be taken care of, and as a result, each one did his or her job. And uh, we were a big farm; we took care of everything in order. Well, what did you
2: like about high school?
3: Well, I I enjoyed high I I liked high school because I wanted to get a college degree. I saw some mm-hmm. of my relatives and friends that had their college degree, and that was my greatest and my biggest year. I want a college degree. Point number two is. The three, there was not room for six boys on the farm. Three home on the farm was okay, and three of us need to get off the farm by means or methods. So I I talked to my brother after I was drafted, and I told my brother, there are three things that I want from you while I'm in the service. I want you to do the work, help mother with her work in the house. The work that I did in the house was ironing, cooking, sewing, and doing all the housework that needed to be done because it was a big home and we had only lived in a one bedroom. My mm-hmm. sister lived downstairs on a couch and the sixth boy lives on the second floor. Mm-hmm. So my three questions that I presented to my my brother was, uh, take care of the things that I did while I was home. And the next thing I wanted to do was take care of my mail because I will send as much mail home so that the family will get some kind of knowledge as to where i am and what i'm doing and the third one is i want you to have your suitcase packed and ready to go when i come home from the service because you and i are going to college
2: you graduated from high school in 42 and you get drafted right away. yes now i have to know that you were in the navy yes how did you get drafted to
3: end up in the navy Well, my brother was in the service, and he was in in the Army. And he told me, for heaven's sake, don't come in this outfit. (laughs) I believed him. So I went to Sioux Falls, registered, went to Great Lakes six weeks, took my training. And from there, I were preparing and making ready for the USS Alabama to go to sea. Yes. Did you listed, listed, Oh, okay. I enlisted in, in the Navy. Okay. In the Navy. Okay. I, I went to Great Lakes for six weeks training and then to Norfolk Naval Yards to, and they put me on the USS Wyoming, which is a gunnery training ship at, for the Chesapeake Bay. Okay. So I was on the Chesapeake mm-hmm. Bay in the Wyoming for one full week for training for gunnery. They were preparing the USS Alabama for
2: mm-hmm. men on
3: the gunnery. Ranges. Okay. So I came back from
0: Wyoming
3: and sat down and talked to the boatswain mate that was trying to prepare and wanted to know which division, what department, or where did I fit into the the man, the gunnery division off of the USS Alabama. Okay. So he asked me what I knew about guns. I said, sir, I know one thing about guns. He says, well, what is that? I says, they're
2: dangerous.
3: (laughs) Well, that meant that, which was true, I didn't know anything. I didn't learn anything. To this day, I have not loaded a gun. I have not discharged a gun. I have had absolutely nothing to do with it. God was in control. He told me before I went in, he says, follow me. Well, I thought I was a pretty good boy. I had my Sunday school classes, my Sunday school teachers, and church always, in church every Sunday. So I thought I was a pretty good boy. I thought I knew something, but God had other plans for us. So he asked me then, I said, the well, what, what, what else can you do? I said, I can cook, I can sew. I says I've done those things all my life, so I have no problem in that. Well, he looked at my drawing and, and, and the plans and couldn't see much advantage. Okay, how about assistant tailor? I said, very, very good, sir. I'll take that. So off I ran. Off to the, across the yards, over to the ship. And when I started looking around then for the equipment and stuff for the tailor shop, I needed a sewing machine, and that was sitting down on the dock. So I waved to the crane <coughs> men, I said, bring that box, which was the sewing machine, mm-hmm. bring it aboard. So he brought it aboard and set it at the office of deck, one of you. I said, now I need to get someone to carry it down into starboard side, second deck down, and we need to get it in the compartment. I needed it welded to the floor, and I need some equipment to work with, some thread, and some iron, and needles, and you know, weights, and things of that nature. So I got that in and you know, no, no help, so I finally walked up spending some time on the ship, not doing a great deal, so I went into an officer that had his pants, the seat of his pants ripped from the Pacific all the way through to the Atlantic. Well, I says, uh, he says, can you fix these? I says, sir, I can't fix them, I don't have any needle and thread in the sewing machine. Look at that, gave me chip right away, so I went on to the beach and picked up a couple of boxes of, uh, of thread and equipment, and how long is it going to take? I said, sir, you just hold your breath. I said, right here, in the shop, and I'll show you how long it's going to take me. It took about less than two minutes. So I got underway, got my <coughs> machine. Once I got my machine and got known aboard the ship, then of course I had to work head over no heels. There was no question just about it. I was small, very tiny, not weighing much more than I do now. So people were looking at it second, thinking that well can that little lad do aboard this big huge ship? He would be surprised. Well from there I had three other jobs. I had a battle station and that was manning the headphones at repair Charlie, and that was at the bow of the ship, underneath the sixteen inch guns. So when those guns went off we had a noise from all sides of the ship. Yeah. The ship really did some rocking. My second job was to stand watch. when we were at sea in that battle. And the third one was, of course, was my tailor shop. So I had three jobs. I, I think I, they did very well by me. I got my food without going through a lot of lines. I got a lot of advantages, I think, that many people didn't get because of the nature of my work. And there wasn't a job that they could present to me that I couldn't complete. And that's been my philosophy all my life as a finished job.
2: Uh-huh. I'm looking at a picture right now of the tailor shop on USS Alabama, and it appears that you had your own bunk there, too.
3: Yes, it was one bunk that was fastened to the ceiling for me to sleep in. a locked the inside of it, but I was in only a half a compartment because the V division, actually people with flames, was on the other side, and there was just a screen that separated the tailor shop okay. from their compartment. So it was sort of an open, fair type of thing. But I turned the lights out when I got through and put up a cloth to keep the light out from shining into their compartments. And that worked somewhat. When was the USS Alabama Commission? Uh, yes, from the uh, August of uh, 1942. I went in there before it went out for the first time and I was there when it came back after the war.
2: How soon after, well, approximately, how soon after it was commissioned did you go to sea?
3: Well, we went off to the Chesapeake Bay on a number of trips, and then the outside on the Atlantic, a number of trips. And then, in I would say, in January, February, March, we started to move up the coast into Argentia and then to Newfoundland, and on the way to England, New England. And there we had the USS South Dakota, which is a sister ship that went with us. We were all, all during the service. The two ships were together at all times, plus the destroyers and things that kept in this boat. And then we moved from Argentia to, to England, and we spotted the two German battleships in the Norwegian fjords. Right. Yes. And, of course, they spotted us a long time before we did. They spotted us
2: eye to eye with the Germans.
3: Yes, but we didn't go in too close because they spotted us, of course, since we were anchor, they were anchored in the fjords. There was no way on earth could we move in there and try to bring them out because they were pretty, considered pretty much in safe keeping. Mm-hmm. So we were there about three months, March, April, May, and then we came back to the States and had our ship gone over to check to see if there's any parts or anything that's particularly repairs. And then we moved from there to the Panama Canal, and it took us about two and a half, close to three days there because of the going in the water, handling the water, bringing yeah. us into and then out of. So then we, moved. we thought we were going in good spirits because we were on the way to Pearl Harbor. End a joke. We found out after two, three days out that we were on our way to Argentina, to Australia, yes. down where the... Japanese were raising tea, Taiwan, Tianyan, and the Marianas, oh. and the Gilberts and the like. So there we went down and got things organized and went to work, and, starting uh, battle. And
2: uh, what does work mean?
3: In, in battle, we learn battle dress and out looking for any any of the Japanese uh, men or uh, continuing war people and their organizations that weren't looking for us. Yeah. We were looking for them and they were looking for us and of course it was dog eat dog. We did our best. Did, uh, did the Alabama uh, engage Japanese in that area? I can give you those now. February 16th of February, 1932, or 42, the ship was commissioned. In November 1942 we started our shakedown in the Chesapeake Bay. And in March of 1943, he arrived in Costco Bay, Portland, Maine. And in May 1943, he arrived in Scapa Flow. May 11th through June 1945, the operation of Okinawa operation. And then we, in May of 1940, you know, that was the end of our biggest uh, operation. And we received, returned back to California, that was our hmm. Pacific end.
2: Was the Alabama, uh, in several of those cases, providing uh, shore bombardment support for the invasions like in Okinawa? Yes, yes
3: sir. We were involved I would say in 99, 95, 98 percent of Mm -hmm. of those operations.
2: Uh, Now, so for people who may not be familiar with battleships, Mm -hmm. but of course the Alabama had nine 16-inch guns on it. And uh, what was it like what on the battleship and I fired a broadside of 16-inch guns?
3: The the, the the ship shook. Loud noise. I had it, landed a, a headset, but that wouldn't help much on yeah. comparing with those 16-inch guns. I was directly underneath the barrels of that not remember, one turret, the 16-inch guns. I uh,
2: understood also that uh, the Alabama was in Tokyo Bay for the surrender.
3: Yes. You, I also can, have a picture of us going into Tokyo Bay and we were the leaders on, on that uh, on, on that Can you
2: talk a little or describe what it was like being in Tok- Tokyo Bay
3: and the surrender? Well, what it was like. We were, when we went into those places, we went into battle, we were absolutely completely full battle dress. So as far as I was concerned, I, was, I lived and worked in the bow of the ship So my seeing what you're requesting is absolutely impossible. Because we had ship communication. And as far as pictures, the only people that were available out there were the gunners.
2: That uh, actually could observe what was going on. Yes. But of course, in Tokyo Bay, you weren't firing the guns.
3: No, but everything was loaded. Was it? Absolutely.
2: You're all at general quarters? Yes, sir. Is that right?
3: Yes, sir. We didn't move out there in in any battle at all without being at general quarters.
2: That's interesting. I never thought about, during the signing of Surrenders, the ships being at General Quarters. I also
3: have a picture of six or seven battleships on the way into Tokyo Bay in line. Battleships prepared, 100% ammunition loaded.
2: That'd be a little scary if you are on the other end of that.
3: (laughs) I would think so, yes, yes, yes.
2: Just so that listeners are aware that uh, USS Alabama is now docked in Mobile Bay in yes. Alabama. I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to visit that and tour the ship, and it, I hadn't realized it'd been there that long, but it is in very good shape.
3: Uh, I, back in '88, when I left the ship to go home, which was back in the Minneapolis area, I. Picked up a few items from the tailor shop and mailed it home. And got out mail because I thought someday I would want to go back and restore the tailor shop. I did in 1988. I had enough equipment and stuff to go back <clears throat> to restore.
2: So the the tailor shop on the Alabama today is pretty much like it existed when you were there.
3: Absolutely. There's only one thing missing isn't it? and that's a lampshade. Well, on you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got pictures yes. It was completely equipment. Well, you
2: being a, uh, a teacher, I'll ask you this question anyway. Uh, Let's assume that today that there's a, a group of junior and senior high school students who are visiting. Mm-hmm. What what things might you want to tell them based on your life experiences?
3: There's one thing I left out. Just a year ago, the department here at Andover show with her activities came and, and talked to me and asked if I wouldn't give a beginning course to six students, learners from Anoka, four senior citizens, and three teachers. Mm -hmm. I said, I would gladly. The course that I used, I did some metal work while I was in school, probably. And I made a hacksaw, wrecking bar, uh, and a a grinder, a um, jack, and an anvil I put together and I gave them a complete demonstration how I showed them all these things and they couldn't figure out how a person could make all of these things because many times the parents gave them a $20 bill and told them to go to the store and get a hammer or a saw whatever they need. Here I held in my hand in front of them a complete born again new piece of six pieces of, of equipment. Couldn't figure out how I could make a pair of pliers and a hacksaw a anvil, mm-hmm. grinder, jack and all these things. And everything worked and I used to in my shop. So I still have that in my room and show the family that comes in and they look at it and they seem rather startled and and, and rather shaken to think that uh, all of these things have made came into form. But people actually make these. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've actually made these, absolutely. Everything that I mentioned here I made. Mm-hmm. So it is my own hands in college. What
2: advice would you give young people today?
3: Well pay attention. High school is very very important. It's a learning stage. That's why I decided although I didn't get all of my high school all directly in line coming out, I was a sophomore when I started back to school. And I certainly don't regret it that I graduated at the rightful age of 21. Mm -hmm. I wanted my education. I figured if I got my education, my high school education, I could go to college at any age. And it's very difficult for them to sit in these chairs and look at me and thinking that I was a 21-year-old graduating from high school and a 24-year-old graduating from college because I needed it. That's why I got all of my education in education, English, speech industrial arts, psychology. I figured I needed every one of those subjects to make an all-around well-trained person. I was pretty well-equipped. Well, is there anything else that you would like to tell us? Well, I enjoy the work here. I'm anxious to see your tape, to hear it, because... It's it's your tape. (laughs) (laughs) You know you put it?
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you things. As I said before, you and I did live a very full life, and you are still living a full life. And I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. And I want to thank you the time for, uh, I want to thank you
3: for serving. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you for coming and giving me the chance.
0: Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute.
4: Hello, and welcome back to the Library Minute. I'm Haley Coble, a librarian at the Northtown Library in Anoka County, and today I have some books for you about the Pacific Theater and World War II. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find anything about the USS Alabama in particular in our collection, but Anoka County Library has a huge amount of material about World War II in the Pacific. The first book I want to talk about is Pacific Crucible, War at Sea in the Pacific 1941 to 1942 by Ian Toll. Ian Toll's ambitious history of the U.S. Navy in the Pacific spans three volumes. Pacific Crucible is the first of these tones and covers the first few months of the war in the Pacific when the U.S. Navy retaliated against Japan at a small atoll north of Midway. We also have in our collection Lost in the Pacific, epic firsthand accounts of World War II survival against impossible odds. This book was compiled by the Military Channel co-founder and creator of the Lost Histories of World War II series, L. Douglas Keene, and focuses on the pilots who fought in the Pacific in World War II. It contains 23 previously unpublished narratives from the pilots themselves. Often, these young men were no older than their early 20s, and yet were willing to sacrifice everything in the war. For young readers, we have Battleships by Kate Riggs, this book on battleships aimed towards young, very young children gives an overview of the mammoth ships used in wars. Learn about the crews that, these, that staff these behemoths, as well as their roles in battles and their mechanical functions. Honestly, a great introduction for children of all ages wanting an inter- overview of these fascinating ships. The next book I have, it's called Kaiten. Japan's secret manned suicide submarine and the first American ship it sank in World War II by Michael Mayer. In November of 1944, the oiler USS Mississinua exploded. Its destruction marked the first casualty at the hands of the Kaiten, a manned submarine whose existence was so secret that even Japanese naval commanders did not know of its existence. Learn all about this mysterious ship in this book a ship that very little was known about at all until the discovery of its wreck in 2001. Last but not least, I have The Forgotten Fleet, The Mothball Navy by Daniel Madsen. Of course, and fortunately, not every ship ends up a wreck at the bottom of the ocean. Some are bought and preserved, some are reactivated for later duty, and some form part of a reserve fleet and are kept in the mothballs learn about these former fighters and explore their long abandoned hulls through amazing images in Madsen's book. Anoka County not only has a substantial collection of books on the US Navy and the Pacific, but also books about other armed forces roles. Remember, you can always look in the corresponding call numbers to find more or ask a librarian for help. Thank you for stopping by and we'll see you next time.
0: Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at enocacountyhistory.org. I laugh every time when he describes that officer's pants ripping from the Atlantic all the way around to the Pacific. It brings me back to the days that I was a costumer in my college theater, and I had a very similar situation. So, Glenn... Glen, I feel ya.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to take the opportunity to tell any embarrassing stories of when that may have happened to me.
0: I think everybody has a situation where they could do with a little mending and wished they had a <laughs> Glen to help them. I have to cut out so many fun parts of these oral histories because they don't fit into a nicely digestible podcast episode. And there's one part that I had to cut out where he talks about meeting his wife, that they were both attending Gustavus Adolphus College, where I also went to college. So I have all sorts of reasons to love this. If you wanna hear that cute story, I'll have the full interview available on our vault for members.
1: And you find the vault by going to the main website. There's a button that says, join the vault and you can click on that it's five dollars a month for a subscription to all sorts of really interesting programming
0: but if you don't want to be a vault member there's other things that you can do to help us out and support the historical society such as such
1: as colon we are now on itunes and google for the podcast so if you'd like to subscribe to that and leave us a review i feel so official saying that leave us a review We'd prefer the good ones rather than the bad ones. We prefer Um, honest ones. We prefer good ones to bad
0: ones. (laughs) We love you all.
1: But that would really help us out.
0: This is really a podcast of our hearts and loving of Anoka County history. And we're so glad that it can now come to you automatically in your podcast feed. We have wonderful things planned upcoming. And uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Bye, Sarah. Bye. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.